It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Jason Robel and Whitney Lauritsen. Here on This Might Get Uncomfortable, we've noticed something really interesting recently, which is that the episodes we've done regarding love and relationships have been vastly popular in comparison to some of our other episodes. And while we didn't have necessarily an intention to go heavier into that realm, it's been interesting to see how you, dear listener, whether it's your first time or a longtime listener, have been really leaning deeper into those episodes about relationship and love and connection. And in terms of love and connection and relationship, we're going to do a deep dive today with two friends, Yachim and Natasha. They have really, really interesting approaches to relationship. And very recently, Whitney and I went to their website, which is yourexceptionalrelationship.com. And I was browsing through and I was like, okay, this is cool. Right on, right on. And then I got to their about page about us and I started digging in a little bit deeper into some really unique and intriguing and deeply moving aspects of who they are as people and what they have experienced in their romantic relationship. And the thing that really pulled me, there's many things that pulled me, it was really looking at the length of time they've been together for a decade and married for six years. But then I got into them doing many different kinds of relationships, long distance relationship, an open relationship, a semi-open relationship, a polyamorous relationship, and a closed relationship. And at that point, I, I thought to myself, I have to talk to them because I have never personally spoken to a couple that has been so radically open and experimental in terms of so many different approaches. So there's so many things that I want to dig into with you guys today. Yachim and, and Natasha, we're so excited to have you on the podcast. And I guess my first inquiry as we open it up here with Whitney and I and both of you is with that approach to radical experimentation and all those different types of containers on your relationship, what was the inspiration for being that radically experimental? And how has trying that many different types of relationship, how has that shaped you guys in your romance? I think let's start there. Well, that's a good question. So for me personally, what was the inspiration to be experimental about is, is that I did not like the idea of a monogamous relationship. I'm not into following what society thinks is the best approach to things, mostly because I believe that a lot of people are unhappy and miserable with their life. That was especially back then, that was my view. I had a very negative view of society. And so I was not willing or wanting to fit into this mold. And so I was open to see what else we can do. And also the idea, an ideal came in that why should love be possessive? Why should love be exclusive? And so those were some of the thoughts behind the different variations of relationship and seeing what suits us. And how about you, Natasha? For me, at the beginning, as you can tell, like for Yahim, he had a more like rebellious streak, right? He was trying to push the boundaries and see what was actually right for him, which might not have been right for the rest of the world. But for me, because we were in a long distance relationship for a good two, two and a half, almost three years, 
I think I fell into the pleasure trap actually. So it's more like I had an emotional connection to him. We were talking every day, but I didn't physically have someone with me. We would only see each other three times a year, if we're lucky, four times a year. And those visits would just last from like a week, maximum three weeks. So it was like we saw each other very sporadically. So it was from my end initiated because I just wanted to have someone physically with me and to have that kind of physical comfort, which I think back then I didn't really know the repercussions of that wish or that desire or what I was opening up our relationship to become. Because like every decision I made or we made, it was making it normal within the relationship, right? So when I moved from Canada to Switzerland, to be with Yahim, to live together and start that kind of life together, then we had a close relationship. And even after we got married and the pleasure trap at the beginning, which was the initial motivation, it kind of morphed into something else for me because we were doing so much self-development work and like looking into spirituality, I was playing with the idea in my head regarding love. And maybe that is free for all that maybe I don't need to possess Yahim. Maybe Yahim isn't the only one person on this planet to fulfill all my needs and desires. And maybe there's enough love within me to share with more people. So That was the idea that I was trying to test and kind of chase in my mind. And I met that chase with actual experiences that I either had on my own or brought into our our relationship. But it kind of more from first the pleasure trap into then this kind of spiritual idea I was trying to prove to myself that like I can be unattached, like I can be spiritual enough to do this. I love that. I love your transparency and how there's similarities and and yet you each have your own different perspectives and dynamic at play here. And I think the first feeling that I get from listening to you is freedom and permission because I feel like, at least from my perspective and worldview and experiences, a lot of relationships can tend to feel constrictive or it's about following the rules and doing things a set way. And it's often guided by monogamy and finding that one person. And and then there's a lot of pulls towards pleasure. And yet I feel like at least in America, and it's re- really refreshing to talk with you <laughs> outside of the American perspective, because I feel like in this country that Jason and I are in, It's like pleasure in a lot of ways is simultaneously encouraged and yet frowned upon. And there's like a very confusing message that comes out. Like you should have pleasure, but only under these circumstances and these rules. Would you say that too, Jason? Yeah, I think there is a conflicting set of messages around absolutely the pursuit of pleasure and happiness and fulfillment, but also some negative perspectives on, yeah, if you do it according to the prescribed set of rules of, say, a particular religion or a society or perhaps the culture that you're in, it's only like, well, we want you to feel good, but only if you're going to do it our way. And in terms of the freedom of seeking one's own path, it feels to me, Yahim and, and Natasha, that you guys have made a point to kind of maybe break free from certain rules that might have been imposed on you 
so that you guys could explore this container of love and relationship in a much more free and exploratory way. And, and again, it just I'm so curious as you went through this process of initially having this long distance relationship, how did it continue to evolve? Was it that one of you would say, bring a new container to the table and say, why don't we try it this way? And furthermore, a secondary question, as you went through these different permutations of your relationship, what kind of traumas or triggers or jealousy or frustration, what kind of, I don't want to call them negative emotions, but what kind of things to be dealt with like that came up for you both? Right. Well, you know, those are good questions for, for me, the relationship, it always, yes, it, they were conversations. I mean, one thing we lived by on, and still live by is, is absolute transparency and honesty in the relationship. So there's no like going behind one's back. There's no cheating, or whatever. There's very clear communication about what we want, what we are doing, how are we feeling uh, so that we can address it together. And so the, the, how the relationship morphed into different stages was through communication. So for example, the semi-open relationship came about because Natasha wasn't feeling as comfortable anymore. And I was like, okay, well, you can do whatever you want. And that was another aspect of, of a relationship that we, we tried out. And the challenges that come up are absolutely real. You know, there is jealousy that can come up. There can be a lot of hurt. And, and a lot of that has to do as well with how you have been brought up and the other traumas you have, have experienced in your life. We tend to be shaped by those things as well. And so the open relationship or polygamy scene, it can be quite prone to escapism. There's a danger when you go into this that you're actually not really looking at yourself and processing what you need to process because you have the option to just go somewhere else and find someone else and, you know, basically lick your wounds by being exposed with someone else and then enjoy, enjoying that time. And that's not really conducive to grow a relationship in more depth. Okay. Yes, you, you can stay at a certain level, but to go really deeper, you need to properly commit. And what happens when you are in an open relationship or polyamory or whatever is that you have more than one person now involved. And so the work is, like, is more, you know, you don't have just to communicate with one person. You have to communicate with two people or more. And it can become quite time consuming, actually. And there's a lot of insecurities that, that can surface about not feeling good enough, about not feeling okay and you know you have to learn to address those in in a manner that is okay for you and also for us as i kind of mentioned you know that a lot of the drive for this has come from an ideal and has come from a an aversion towards society so it is not coming from a place of freedom it is not coming from a place of freedom this is quite important because we can think it is a place of freedom to do that and yes in terms of action it is but if you're shaped by away movement so for example we have war and you, the only idea we have well with let's don't have war it's going away from what's currently experienced and so you're still actually shaped by society very much even if you don't want to admit it and so a lot of those things it then becomes difficult because you have an idea in your head but your heart may have another idea you know what you emotionally feel what is right for you is not listened to anymore. I wasn't listening to that anymore because the idea is too powerful of how things should be and and how I'm, you know, free to do whatever I want and all of that. And for me, the ideal, especially the second one, so the first one I mentioned is has more to do with the pleasure trap, right? But then the second one about exploring what love means and how many people we can 
be intimately in love with, it was also something I was trying to prove to myself, but on the mind level. So I was trying to be all spiritually correct by trying to imitate this freedom that I thought this expression had to be. And really what happened, because you saw all the different, or you've heard all the different transitions within our relationship, but what really happened was that I was this rubber band and I just kept stretching myself to fit this spiritually correct mold or this all freedom encompassing role to the point where I wasn't in line with myself. So boundaries started getting crossed, but I put myself into such an awkward position because like Yakim said, we have this transparent conversation. So the conversation is supposed to be honest, but if I wasn't honest with myself, then the words I'm speaking is not my truth, right? So we end up having a conversation with one another where we're not really coming from an authentic place within me. And what ended up happening is that I agreed to a lot of things because I thought it was the right thing to do. I thought that it would be expansive for us. I thought that it would give each other freedom. I thought that we were expanding into more love. But in fact, I was getting more and more hurt and I didn't know how to backpedal for a long, long time because I was saying yes and creating this situation with Yakim for for so long. So it was as if making a U-turn at that point would have meant that I had to be like, oh, I didn't mean it. I didn't mean all the yeses I said in the last few years or whatever. And that's kind of a shock that to both myself and to Yahim, right? Because you've been saying yes this whole time. You've been kind of letting your boundaries cross this whole time. And But to really put your foot down suddenly and be like, no, like none of that feels right anymore. I'm really hurt now. Like that's a completely different conversation, if that makes sense. Absolutely. I think a lot of people go through that and, you know, you hear this perspective of how people are always changing in their relationships, right? And I think some people don't know how to express themselves. So it might not even be that you're changing as much as perhaps you're learning how to communicate better and speak up for yourself. And maybe you're on a a journey of more self-inquiry. And as you're learning more about yourself, you're realizing how you may not have been fully like truthful or strong or comfortable in the relationship. And so I'm really glad that you're speaking out about that. And I kind of want to backtrack for a moment because I'm not sure how you met. So I'd love to know the story of how your relationship came to be and also how your work together started. Is this something that you were each doing individually and then kind of came together to work on this? Or were you on completely different career paths until this joint venture? Yeah. So if I could have a dice and I roll it, that's the two answers that will pretty much come up. It's so random, both of it. It's all by chance, right? So the first one, how we met. So let's roll the die. Okay, there we go. (laughs) How we met is that I'm Canadian, right? So I was studying in Canada at the time. And I was going to Europe for the first time uh, for Christmas. And then Yakim, he was studying in the US and he was going home to Switzerland for Christmas also. 
and we were both transferring at the London Heathrow Airport. So we were supposed to be there. I don't. I don't even think for more than three hours. But within that time period where we landed, the whole airport has shut down because it snowed a tiny, tiny bit, like so little you can't even see it. But everything shut down. All the flights were canceled. We missed both our flights, and we were both stuck there. So what happened from my side is that I was in the luggage room for hours and it was just piling up and creating these crazy luggage mountains. And then I was getting a bit stressed. And at one point, the people there at the airport were like, oh, leave the luggage area. Just go go to arrivals. And I thought, oh, man, this is it. Once I get into arrivals, I'm in, I'm in the UK. Like, I'm not supposed to be here. So I was like, oh, what should I do? So I was like, calm down, grab a bite. And then call my aunt again because I'm I was trying to f- visit my aunt. It's like okay, let me do that. So I start walking around trying to find something to eat in the arrivals area, and then I spot a seat that's free, and I thought, oh, maybe I take that. I was about to, then I thought to myself, it's like my mom, <laughs> like in a movie where the character stops and someone's voice enters their head. It's like what happened for me. My mom said, don't yeah. leave your luggage with strangers. I was like, no, no, no. I cannot leave my luggage <laughs> with strangers. So I was about to turn around and abandon that seat. So I did. And then I saw a huge Indian family walking towards me, like eight, nine people. And I thought, oh, no, no, no. This is a special situation. Everyone is stuck here. This is not normal anymore. I need this seat because everyone's freaking out. Everyone wants to settle down somewhere. I need this. So I turned around. There was a guy who was nodding off, sleeping next to my seat. There was a guy who was awake. So I got, asked the guy who was awake, hey, can you look after this? I'll be right back. So I did. I bought some food, sat back down. And then the guy who was sleeping, that's Yakim. So he just <laughs> looked over at me. He said something really dumb, like, oh, you stuck here too, huh? Like something like that. But what ended up happening is that for the first night, we spent it on the floor of the airport because we were both waiting and wanting to get out of there the next day. But we couldn't. Everything was canceled. So in the end, we spent a good three days together and there was nothing to do. We were stuck on that island, so we thought, oh, let's get Chinese food. Let's go to the museum. It was my first time in Europe anyways. I thought it was really exciting. But my mom would call me and be crying on the phone and freaking out for me. But that's how it started. And from there, then we transitioned into the long-distance relationship and things like that. And Yakim, is is there anything that was different from your perspective in that story? Well, I agree that it was a very dumb pickup line. I didn't have my attention <laughs> of picking her up in the first place, really. I was I was sleeping. I was trying to sleep and I I had well, someone sits next to you, you know, when your head is nodding off, you you're you're in danger of hitting them. So I was like, Oh man, I can't sleep anymore. What what am I going to do now? So I just start talking to her. And I guess what is good to to tell you as well is we were really, really, really different. I mean, back then I was still very, very pessimistic and Natasha was the complete opposite. She was like all rainbows and bunnies and let's save the world. So that was quite interesting. And I mean, I don't think any one of us actually expected that we'll get married eventually and be together for over for a decade. That That's quite, quite good. 
Actually, Jason, that reminds me of a little bit of your dynamic with your girlfriend, how and Jason is also rebellious and he has a, a younger girlfriend who seems to see the world in a different way. Would you say that, Jason? Yeah, I think that probably the dynamic that you're describing, Yachim, with Natasha, it's similar in the sense that I I suppose with my current girlfriend, I tend to be a little more maybe pessimistic. I'll take ownership of that. And she's just very, very much a glass half full type of person. So it's been an interesting energetic contrast, just mirroring what you have to say. And I guess my question kind of going forward with this is acknowledging those differences was there ever a point where you guys, either of you thought like, man, we're way too different. There's no way this is going to work. For me, I don't think so. I don't think I had this kind of thought. It was more entertaining, actually, because you get to explore someone's world that is so completely different. So we didn't have have it in, in, in that arena. We think like, oh, no, you know, that's too much of a difference. It's not going to work because in many areas we do align. We do align in, in terms of that we care about people, you know, in the work that we're doing together now. We do align in wanting to travel. We do align with family values. So there's a lot of values that we do align with um, weren't obvious when we first met. I think I had trouble communicating my emotions. So that was something even though I seemed really happy and chirpy and, and bouncy, I actually had trouble communicating how I was really feeling. So in the end, I, I guess we were connecting as human beings and the inability to actually talk about your feelings, that was quite detrimental. But another thing where it was quite hard because of our actual personality or how we behave and how we think that kind of difference that really hit us on the head when we started working together Hmm. well let me explain it and you can maybe talk about how we even started to to work together but i just remember that we are such different people because yahim is a complete quick start meaning he'll get an idea be like hey let's do that and i'll be like I'm follow throughs. So I'll be like, uh-huh, idea one. All right, destination B. All right, let's get a plan. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Okay, let's get it by at this time. And tools will be used with one, two, three. And he'll freak <laughs> out. And he'll freak out. And he'll be like, well, what do you mean? We, we don't need to do that. Like, let's not like run away with this. And I'll be like, you just gave me an idea. Like, if you don't want me to take action, why are you telling me this? You know? And I want to see things through. I want to manage things. I want to get it done. I want to get it done well. I want it to fit in my calendar. And Yahim is such a visionary, like his morning routine, which he really needs is to sit down and be quiet and kind of download, you know, and just listen. And for me, it's like, I need to sit at my computer and get it done, right? So the different ways in which we do our best work, it's so different. And we had so much miscommunication when we first started working together because we didn't realize that we were so different in this way. I think it's one thing to kind of run a household and just be together, even if you're living together. But when you have a common goal like work and you have very drastically different ways to get to that goal, then it becomes quite difficult. I remember really clearly there was this meeting we were going to have with someone who did ads. 
So it was about, and I think, 30 minutes from that moment in time. And so I just walked up to Yachim and I said, okay, so we have this you know, ads guy we're going to talk to, we're going to have a call with, let's talk about this meeting. And I think, I'm sorry if this is too much information. I think Yachim was literally on the toilet when that happened. <laughs> <laughs> Not too much information. I like the behind the scenes. <laughs> yeah. So he wasn't behind his computer. He wasn't sitting down with a notebook. I think I just like walked into the bathroom and be like, hey, <laughs> we have a meeting. Let's talk about the agenda. And I think he just looked at me. He was like, uh-huh. Um, what do you want to talk about? And I just looked at him like, kind of with those like evil eyes, you know, when your eyes slant down. And I was just like, what do you mean what's there to talk about? We have a meeting. And then he's like, uh-huh. So yeah, go ahead. Let's talk about it. Like as in like all question marks, right? He didn't really know what was going on. So I was starting to challenge him because I thought, okay, this guy's not taking this meeting seriously. He's just doing it on the fly. He doesn't care. It's going to be in half an hour. We barely have any time left to address this. So I was like challenging him. I was like, huh, all right. So like, there's nothing you want to talk about. And he's like, and then, then he said something which was along the lines of, is there something to talk about? <laughs> and at that moment, I was fuming. I was fuming because I was like, of course there is. It's an ads guy. We need to talk about budget. We got to talk about scope. We got to talk about like timeline. We got to talk about what is our intention of doing ads? Like, what is this about? Like, we got to be like together on a team when we show up on that call. I'm like, dude, we have so much to talk about. And he's like, oh, right. Yeah. Okay. And I thought, oh my goodness, we think so differently because those things are important to him. But for Yahim, he would do that on the call, like get a feel for it. Maybe talk to me afterwards, just like show up and see what happens where I was like, all right, let's not waste each other's time. Let's sit down. Let's get an agenda. Let's have our intentions clear. Let's get like a budget clear, you know? So we had so many conversations like that where we were like, is there something to talk about? Like, what do you mean there's nothing to talk about? And we just didn't see things the same way, you know? So once we realized what we're actually good at, like, I'm good at this. You're good at that. Let's not mix it up. So we put ourselves in the right seats and then it worked out so much better. It's so funny because I kind of feel like you're describing my business relationship with Jason. Bingo. <laughs> you were thinking the same thing, it, I'm sure. I was thinking the exact same thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm so much like you, Natasha, in a lot of ways where I'm very much a planner and I like to get things done and have a to-do list and be on schedule. And that's where my I'm very comfortable. And, and I also procrastinate. And so I don't always get the things done that I intend to, but I, I feel much more comfortable having a plan. Whereas Jason is a fly-by-the-seat-of-his-pants type of guy and more rebellious and tends to do things last minute whenever he can. Would you say, Jason, that sounds about right? Yeah, I think that I find that my way of navigating the world, not just work, and this, I've noticed that this irritates a lot of people. So it's interesting, Natasha, that you bring up this very funny and brilliantly spoken situation that at times my desire to improvise and be in the moment and make it up as I go can be seen by some people as maybe laissez-faire or a little too laid back or unprepared. But I actually feel very confident in that space, right? Like I, I make it up as I go and I, in the moment, there's magic and there, there's creativity in the moment. And 
So for Whitney and I as business partners, it's very much contrasting styles similarly to what you described where she's got spreadsheets and she's got to-do lists and she's got projections and she's got the intel and she's got the research. And I'm like, okay, so are we going to, like five minutes beforehand, I'm like, okay, let's rock. She's like, what do you mean? So it's interesting though, in the container for you guys being in a romantic partnership, this being one very small thing, when you have over the course of your relationship noticed, I guess, things that irritate one another or irk one another or bother each other, how did you not allow those things to say balloon into something bigger that could have killed the relationship? Like, how do you guys handle those irritations or the ways that maybe you communicate differently or the ways that you upset one another? How did you learn or practice handling those situations to make sure they didn't snowball into something bigger? Well, through experience, because they did snowball into something bigger. So... (laughs) You know, you make the mistakes and and then you learn from the mistakes. And so the reason why we can do the work today is because we have gone through blame, nagging, bickering, all of those things and it getting blown out of proportions and the small things getting bigger and bigger and just seeing the impact of that and then addressing it and learning to do it differently has actually allowed us to do the work now. And so just to give you an example of what this actually means. Before, we were not conscious of what was happening in our relationship. The bickering, the nagging, the blaming, it just seemed like it's normal, you know, like that's just what couples do that, you know, are together for 10 years or something like that. And, you know, if you get to 20 years, it probably gets worse. Like this was the image that we had and the image that I believe a lot of people have is that, that well, it's just normal, you know, it's what old couples do. And the truth is that it can be normal in society, but is it healthy? Is it something you want? I personally don't. And so what happened for us is that we got help as well from someone to, and she does like cleanses. And we went there, it's like seven days. Uh, usually it's one-to-one, but we went as a couple. It's somewhere in, in England, nowhere. She's like 10 dogs. I've been with her for several times. Natasha's gone as well. So she's really good at what she does. And she's a bit of a crazy lady. But so we went there, we both had our individual cleanses. We weren't really working actively as a couple on it, but we were looking at our own patterns. And this was really the, the point where the relationship shifted because we saw what are we doing to each other. Those small bickering and nagging and blaming that happens that sometimes gets blown out of proportion, it's actually hurting the relationship. It is not bringing the relationship forward. It's actually disempowering the other partner. And what happens is that you get drawn into a disempowerment circle. So I get a bit disempowered. Well, what do you do when you get disempowered? You want to get more power back. That's obvious. So how do I get my power back? Well, through a dysfunctional way, by disempowering Natasha a bit, you know? And so you go back and forth and you are in this cycle that no one is happy about, really. But because, you know, you love each other and you have this image of the relationship, you don't see it because it's hurtful to see it and you have this positive self-image of yourself and a positive image of the relationship and so those things seem like small things 50 60 90 percent whatever your percentages of time we are okay you know we're good we're actually loving each other with this great relationship but when you actually look down and you look at the nitty-gritty you can see that there's a bunch of stuff that's just not right and so the way you address it is that you actually start to look the impact it has you start to feel it and you look at what happens when you are connected to love. Because there's a clear delineation, there's a clear demarcation line. Either you're choosing love 
or you're choosing fears and insecurities. Blaming, bickering, nagging, they are rooted in fear, they're rooted in nagging, they're not rooted in love. And so once you see that, it's much easier to address the issues without blowing it out of proportions. Now, don't get me wrong. We still have sometimes things that come up and it is not our aim to have some kind of idealized perfect relationship. That's not human in my opinion and it's nor, nor is it desirable. But what we do have is that when it does show up, we know how to handle it. We know that we can sit down together. We know that we can talk and be like, oh, you know, I think we're going back into this more negative space and we can look at what has happened and we can sort it out so that we both are feeling good and empowered rather than disempowered. I love that approach. And I think it's interesting because I, I feel like so many people when they are perhaps confronted with uncomfortable realizations or trauma or wounds or power struggles that people would opt to leave the relationship or end the relationship. And I'm curious because there, there obviously were moments of great discomfort. And I'd like to hear maybe more about the patterns or the past wounding or maybe stuff that are familial bonds, things from your family and growing up. What kind of those things came up for both of you? And how did you use those situations or those wounds or those things you were looking at in, inside of yourselves individually to strengthen your partnership rather than using it as a reason to say, detonate it, to end it and move on? One pattern that runs, especially from the maternal side of the family, I'm not sure if the listeners relate to this, but it has to do with rage cleaning. Ooh. What is that? I don't know that term. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I read this in the book, but I'm like, that's it. That's exactly what's happening. So it's like in the household when you're cleaning or doing the dishes or you're cooking and then there's like, I don't know, say Yahim's helping me out, right? And I'll be like, oh, Yahim, yeah, wash those veggies and bring them over to me so I can cut them up. And he washes them all nicely, brings them over, but somehow it manages to get like 200 milliliters of water on the cutting board and like spills it all over the table or the counter. And I'm like, oh, Yahim, seriously, like all you had to do was just to bring over the veggies clean. And like, why do you have to like spill water everywhere? So like, it's as if like everything he did, like, oh, there's a dish. He's doing the dishes so nicely. I'm like, oh, Yachim, why is this sponge wet? Like, you're supposed to wring it out and then put that in the little perfect little box thing. And it's like all these like household chores, which are very, very small, mundane stuff. But somehow there's this stress, there's this rage behind it where it has to be perfect. It has to be done in the right way. And whoever doesn't respect that, it's a thing. It becomes a thing. So that was a pattern that ran in our relationship for a long, long time. At the beginning, it was more mild, but the more we kind of lived together or even traveled, the more like my environment shifted too. It was as if something I clung on to, like I clinged onto it and I was like, oh, more control, more control over the household, more control over Yahim. And it just turned into this thing where every time something needed to get done or he was helping me, I was always picking on him. It's like I was pecking on him. And it was on the smallest things. He could never do it right. And I would complain and I would sigh and I would bring him down actually each time. It wasn't like my requests were unreasonable or that we weren't trying to do the right things within the household. No, we were trying to make things clean and tidy and all that good stuff. But the way I was doing it, 
I started to build this case in my head that Yahim is so useless. He can't even follow my instructions. He can't even do this simple task. He messes up every time. And that means he's not dependable. He doesn't respect me and what I want to create in this home. And it would spiral into this whole thing where I attached so much thinking and there were so many emotions to it. So it was like this little ping pong game that started. We would be doing something and then I would get pissed off because it wasn't done in that way that I wanted it to be done. And then Yahim would kind of freak out because suddenly he had a wife who was unhappy, not pleased with him. And he tried to do it overboard to please me. And I see that he's like acting strange. So then I complain about that. And then he'll be like, well, I'm trying to make you happy. And it would just turn really ugly. And it's like every day we were stuck in this stress of trying to make each other happy. And it always started with something really, really small like the household. So what ended up happening once we got became more conscious of the tone of voice, the energy, what I was thinking and projecting on Yahim, like, okay, he is not a useless human being. He's actually a very powerful creator. He's a leader in his own right. So why do I think that he's this useless thing if he can't do something right in the household and right on my terms, right? Nothing to do with what he thinks. So it's like, why am I putting this on him? And why am I getting mad at him? And why am I so irritated the moment, I don't know, like a little bit of tomato sauce falls off the ladle and I don't know, drops onto the counter. Like, why does that piss me off so much? And why do I need things to be done in such a specific way? So I had to examine that and I realized that there was a lot of passive aggression on my side. I was communicating, I guess, my unhappiness, dissatisfaction, just right beneath my words. I would do this really audible sigh (laughs) whenever I spotted something I didn't like that Yahim has left a mark of or whatever. I would just like deeply sigh and Yahim could be like in the next room or in the living room or something. He would still hear it. He'd be like, oh, no, 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 no. You know, I've done it again, you know? So there was a lot of communication and it seemed a little bit subtle, but it wasn't because I was really bringing him down and I was doing it consistently. So I had to recognize and we had to talk about it at some point. Yahim just came up to me and was like, hey, like what you just said that really hurt me. And I looked at him and I was like, oh my goodness, what am I doing to this guy? And I could see that he was in a lot of pain and I was just picking on him. And I didn't realize that when you're coming from that place, I was really not nice. And I was making him in my head to be someone who he absolutely was not. Wow. Again, I'm so grateful that you're sharing all of this because it's all so relatable. I mean, it sounds like experiences that I've heard from my friends or experienced myself or you see played out in the media. And I think in a way we kind of get used to that dynamic if we don't really pay attention to. And that can either ruin the relationship or two people will stay in a relationship and just be so miserable because they don't know their way out of it. Yeah, I mean, that's absolutely right. 
And so that's why it's so important to bring more consciousness into the relationship and to see what are you doing. Because it's very easy when you listen to Natasha to think, oh, well, Natasha is this big dragon or whatever. Well, look, she can only do that if I am allowing it to happen. So once I start to speak up, once I start to address it, and I was like, you know, I'm, I'm not going to just let this keep running. It's going to ruin us. That's when it changed. So it's not like there's one person who's just a perpetrator and the other one is the poor victim. That's not the case. You are both doing a dance together. And that dance is dysfunctional and it's hurtful. And if one person changes how you dance, it will change the relationship. It changes the dynamic. So that is the good news. It doesn't mean that your partner has to change because a lot of people are getting lost in the idea, well, it's my partner's fault. They are just doing all this horrible stuff and I am just hopeless. Well, if you are in that place, you are effectively have disempowered yourself and you're going to be stuck in it forever. And it will only change once you actually take ownership of where you are and what you are contributing to this. And just so for completion's sake, the way I understood the rage cleaning was less about getting things pointed out, but more like that <laughs> Natasha would be doing the dishes and she was angry and she was doing it angrily. That was my interpretation of the rage cleaning. I, I didn't read the book and I was like, wow, you know, like, that's an effective way to get me to do the dishes because I'm like, I don't really want to do this anymore. Like, I don't want to be in bed <laughs> at 11 trying to sleep while I can hear her in the kitchen sighing going, and being obviously angry about this. So that was another kind of pattern that was playing out in that relationship. And the more consciousness you bring to those patterns, the less they can play out. They thrive on you not being conscious of them. While it sucks to look at them, actually look at them is what will dissolve them and what will allow you to walk free. And just to let you know, the relationship that is cleaned out, that doesn't have this stuff happening, is so much better. Because all the energy that's tied up in this kind of dysfunctional dance and into disempowerment and all that, that gets set free. Like you have all of this energy now together. And so the question isn't anymore like, how are you going to make this relationship work? It's like, what are we going to do together? Like, what are we going to create? We have all of this positivity and energy. What are we going to do with it? And that's a, such a beautiful space to be in rather than all the, you know, little pity things. Petty things. Petty. <laughs> One thing that we've brought up on the podcast in previous episodes, and I'm curious how you two feel about this, is there seems to be a lot of talk, especially on social media and I suppose certain relationship books about finding a, quote, perfect partner and the encouragement that some people have to write a list of the attributes or the personality traits or the likes, the dislikes, the aspects of what you envision your ideal or perfect relationship to be and how many people say not to compromise and, and keep sticking with it till you find that perfect person. But it sounds like having that fixation on finding someone who's perfect for you on on one hand there are the people who say yeah don't compromise and don't let go of that and keep hanging in there and then there's another school of thought that says if you find someone who matches your values close enough and and they have a similar viewpoint on the world you can work with maybe some of the things that aren't perfectly aligned with that list so what would your response be perhaps with clients you've worked with or friends or the teachings you guys have about that mentality of don't compromise, stay with the perfect person or until you find them versus, hey, work with what you have if you deeply love that person, even if they're not, quote, perfect. Mm -hmm. I think it 
really comes down to how you see that partner or potential partner, how you see that person. So the moment you have attributes and you relate those attributes to perfection, you've created a mold of sorts. It's a mental mold, right? They, they have to fit it. There are attributes, you know. But the thing is that when you fall in love or when you create a relationship, you're with someone who's alive and someone who is constantly changing with you. And we don't often take into account the fact that people grow and change and transform in their lifetime, right? So whoever you say yes to, whether you marry them or you say yes to them on a dating app, you're saying to someone who could be a different person the next day. You can't actually control how the other person transforms day to day. So that's, I think, an extremely important point to point out because, like Yakim said, when we first met, we were completely different people. But because we did have this kind of open communication and we were very curious people, still are, back then even more curious because we were trying to get to know ourselves and the world and how we fit into it. We were very open to seeing each other's perspectives and worlds just from their eyes. Like, what does that mean for you? Like, oh, like, how do you see that? Like, why do you believe that? And by having that curiosity and by opening this conversation, you actually get to appreciate not just your partner, the world in a way that was not possible before. Imagine that little list, the attribute list, and that mold you have, right? Oh, perfect, perfect person. Perfect person five years ago when you thought that was perfect. How about now when how you see the world and how you've experienced the world has expanded to a different level and you still hold on to that friggin' list with five bullet points? That's outdated. That's not your truth anymore. And that list and that mold is a disrespect to the person in front of you. It's an absolute disrespect to the person in front of you because you're not giving them the chance to be who they are and for you to receive that because you are going positive, positive, oh good, negative, negative, oh dang it. Let's just delete that shit, you know, (laughs) like get that out of their system. But that's them, right? And so I think for us, right? The whole idea of the exceptional relationship formula is that everything is malleable. Like every hurt you can heal from, every single pain you can work through together, everything that you want to move on and move towards, you create together. And many misunderstandings you can understand again. So that actually is from a very different place than having five bullet points and certain attributes that you want someone to have. This is two creators coming together, finding understanding, finding connection, finding love, and then creating together. Because imagine you have two molds, right? It's like two cookie cutters, let's just put it that way. And you just cut, 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 cut. Oh, oh, we have like star-shaped cookies forever. (laughs) Yay. You know, like I'm so happy with the five pointy sides. Well, Hello, you have friggin' cookie dough. Do something with it. Like build a bunny and then next day bake something else. You know, that's in your hands and that's together. 
And I think so oftentimes people forget what's possible. They really do. And we are trying to be here and live and redefine what's possible for relationships. Mm. I love what you said. And just to add my two cents to that, the whole idea of a perfect partner doesn't exist. That is made up in someone's mind. Now, that said, I do 100% agree that you shouldn't compromise. If you have certain standards, if you want to achieve certain things in your relationship and you start compromising, soon enough you find yourself crossing your boundaries. You start to settle for something that's not right. The big difference, though, is that you are a team. You're not by yourself. And so a lot of the relationship issues are coming from the wrong perspective. And the perspective is, it's me and what can I get from you? I need to get something from you. So this is the list of stuff I need you to be so that I can feel okay. And that list will never be exhausted because the ego will forever find something else to add to it. So if you are stuck in this perspective, you're going to struggle. But when you shift the perspective from me to us, the whole game changes. Then suddenly you're going to define, well, what is this relationship about? What do we want to nurture? What are our values? What's important to us? What life are we building together? Now, you are creating almost like a new being together, a new unit. And in that unit are your desires and are your partner's desires. They're not compromised. There can be friction. And that's the beauty of it because it can transcend both of those desires and it can bring up something new. And people miss that because they are so stuck wanting things their way. But where's the growth in that? Like if you have your perfect partner, where's the growth in that? They're just pleasing you. So what? I can't tell you how much I've learned through Natasha because she's so different. And I was lucky enough to have an open ear to actually listen to her and to hear her out and to see what she's actually saying. I've grown so much and I would not be the same man without her. But that has only happened because I was not completely focused on just making it my way. Because whenever we did do it my way, it wasn't very nice. It sucked. (laughs) So that is really important because the expansion of your world, the expansion of your being is incredible when you allow it to happen. But most people are so set in their ways that they are not allowing it to happen. And what happens is they just have conflict together rather than growth. How did you learn to move? And I'm so glad you brought this up. Yahim, that the ego wants to control, the ego wants to have things their way, this idea or this story in our mind of how we think things ought to be, right? Or that this person's supposed to make me happy. So many of the gems that you both dropped throughout this conversation. But what are some techniques that you both have used and teach others to move from the singular ego of I, me, to, I suppose, opening the heart space more to the we? How do you guys recommend doing that? And how did you both practice that for yourselves? Mm -hmm. It's both a tool, but I kind of want to give a foundation for it. So there are differences, right? When you're with your partner, because you're not dating yourself. And even if you date yourself, you, you like change all the time. And what you think it's like back and forth. Anyways, that's something else. So you have differences and emotions will come up, especially if you're in like a deeply intimate relationship where you share a lot, where your lives become this ecosystem that you create together. 
there's going to be conflict. There are going to be issues. There are going to be things that you need to work out together. There's going to be friction and all that kind of stuff. But what I've learned is that here's a big difference between couples who really end up happy in the long run and couples who just can't seem to make it through these tough moments. And it's that the people who keep getting stuck in those tough moments and can't get out of it, they have these conflicts or they have these you know, misunderstandings or friction and things like that. Something happens, right? That's normal. That's okay. But what happens is that someone feels hurt. And once they feel hurt, they don't know how to love again. So they feel that pain. They feel they relive what happened in their relationship. And I've been there myself. It's like, okay, maybe Yahim said something. I took it personally and I thought it meant this and it made me feel awful. And then from that moment on, it's like I feel completely disconnected. I find it hard to look into his eyes. I don't even want to look at him because it hurts. I don't want to talk to him. I give him like one-worded answers and I try to kind of avoid him and just be by myself kind of. And I start to choose everything that's not love. I start to retreat. I start to make it a thing in my head. I start to analyze it. I try to do all these things. And the more I'm in that space, the more I kind of dwell on it and digest it in the worst way possible, I step further and further away from love. And I deeper and deeper into this hurt. Even if it's from one moment, I hold on to that hurt and it's still there and it's still hard. And it's then at some point, it feels like I've forgotten how to love. There's so much pain present, there's so much emotion present that I'm overwhelmed by that and I've forgotten how to love again. So to remember like, oh my goodness, like how can I feel like I really care for him and love him? Like I, I want that again. It feels really far away because that distance is not physical, but it's emotional right? That distance has been created. And so as long as people don't know how to love when they feel hurt and when they feel pain, they can't heal their emotion and they can't move on. And so many people get stuck in that way because they feel like they're on their own with the hurt and the pain. And they try to figure it all out. They try to blame themselves and they try to you know, do all sorts of things, but it still is not getting through the hurt through love. So what we've done is that we have meetings every week, even if there's just something someone said throughout the week, a little jab or a little like mm, comment, or even if the words sounded normal, but you picked up on a vibe that was kind of annoyed or irritated at you or something like that, and you just didn't feel good. If we don't address it soon after that conversation, we most definitely will address it at our weekly meeting. That's where we sit down and kind of go, hmm, how was this week? You know, Did you feel good in our relationship? Or what happened? Did, did you pick up on anything? And that's where we talk about those tiny, tiny things that we say and do to one another that don't feel like it's aligned to love. Because we know that the moment we move away from love and go to fear or just get stuck in those emotions, 
and don't help ourselves or each other to grow from that and to choose love again, you're going to get stuck there. And the distance and the isolation that comes along with it, that's a recipe for the end of any relationship. So as long as people get the tools and find out how to love despite the pain, despite the hurt, as long as people don't know that tool and that skill, there will be a disconnect. There will be distance. There will be isolation. You will feel abandoned. You will feel misunderstood and all that stuff because you've forgotten how to love. It's so interesting hearing you talk about this. First of all, it's so soothing the way that the two of you approach this. And it's no wonder that this is the work that you're doing. It really feels like a calling. And I don't know if we fully covered how your business started and what were you doing before this and and how far into your relationship did this all get formed? I'm so curious about that. All right. That's true. We did skip that. So I was, as I mentioned, quite pessimistic and my escape was martial arts. So I was training and it helped me get out of my neurotic head. And what popped up was a uh, opportunity in California to train martial arts for 10 years in a retreat center. And I was like, fantastic, I'm going to go there. I broke up with my girlfriend then, the high school sweetheart. I moved over there and I was staying there for two and a half years. And looking back, that was an escape, trying to escape myself, really. And after two and a half years, still bitter to some degree, I quit that and I came back to Switzerland. And I was passionate. I discovered then hypnosis and I was passionate about it. And I was like, let me see what I can do. So my, my, my perspective shifted from trying to run away from society and myself to maybe I can find a niche in this society. And the niche was hypnosis. And that's what I started. It's been about eight years by now, I think. And when I did that, it was the transition to actually start healing myself. That was really what would start to happen. Because if you're working with people and you're not healing yourself, you can only take them this far. And so hypnosis was my career, you can say. I, I had my own practice in, in Zurich, in Switzerland. And that's what I was doing. And then through spending time by myself, so I was building the business. And at some point I had this intuition where it said, you know, stop trying to build this business more and focus more on yourself. And that's what I did. And I took time off and I was doing purposeless days. Uh, a friend of mine coined that term. And those days are basically you wake up whenever you wake up, you don't have a phone, you don't have a book, you don't have any electronics and you don't have a plan. So what is going to happen when you stop distracting yourself? Because what I found is like, how come I can't be with myself? How come I'm uncomfortable when I'm just by myself? And so what I realized through those purposeless days is that the mind creates a problem and then says it didn't do it and, and tells you, you have a problem, go solve it. And so you freak out, you try to solve the problem. As you try to solve the problem, it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and the mess gets worse. But there's something that happens that's really interesting. At some point, you can see through that illusion and suddenly you're back in peace and love and stillness and all of that. And I'm like, wow, this is amazing. This stuff is inherent. And so that is when I saw that, that is when I switched career towards more coaching. And I went to high ticket coaching and, and you know, enrolling entrepreneurs and all kinds of stuff. So that was the, the career transition I did. And then eventually we came together, but maybe Natasha, you cover first what you were doing. 
Yeah, he mentioned earlier that I wanted to save the world, right? So that's what I tried to do. I studied environment and business. So my intention was to save the planet through market solutions. I tried really hard to find my place. So that meant I worked for the municipality. I worked for federal government. I worked in environmental consulting. I worked in foundations that help social entrepreneurs and oh, all sorts of things in order to find my place and try to save the world at the same time. But what I realized over time was that it was just so hard for me to find an organization that truly wanted to do good, that they wouldn't just hire me to do green marketing that was actually brainwashing people, that it's actually doing good when it's not really and so at some point, I got really frustrated. I actually got sacked. The last time I worked for someone, I, I got sacked for asking to get paid. Another story, <laughs> another time. <laughs> but anyways, but that experience was really emotional. So I was like, ah, enough of this. I'm going to take a bit of time and, and, and see what I want to do. And when I took time off, I got so many ideas. It was crazy. It's as if like... The time off was the taking the lid off a box and like, oh, you know, the light comes out and all the sparkles come out of the <laughs> yeah. box. It's like, wow, yeah. <laughs> that's what happens when I have time. And then I got like business ideas. I wanted to do, do all sorts of things. I started experimenting, you know. I started to take yoga teacher training, taught a little bit. But there was one point in time, it was when Yahi was on this crazy multiple year long rampage of just learning from the best teachers all over the world you know that movement where you have like money in your hand you're like push 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 you know it's just like <laughs> you know <laughs> or the money gun that was what he was yeah. doing he's like take my money give me the best spiritual education okay sorry <laughs> sorry yeah but that was I really what that. happened <laughs> so at one point you know he was learning from hypnosis teachers learning from the best coaches going all over the place and at one point he hired a lady from the uk a different lady who was teaching us energy stuff. And I thought, what the heck is this? Like, and, and, you know, me and the planning and all the goals and the, and the to-do lists, I was like, what the heck is this? This is such a scam. But, you know, yeah, he, he wanted to do it all the way. So she came over to her house, like stayed three, four days, just work with us too, showing us energy stuff. But what happened was that I was like, dang, I'm, I'm actually quite good at this. It was just like feeling feeling beyond the physical, like feeling. And I was like, ah, huh, maybe I have a knack for this. So it actually felt like I was remembering something that I already knew. It was very strange. But anyways, after that, I thought, let me give this a try. And so I would have friends over and I wouldn't even touch their body. I would just like kind of hover over them and have start conversations at the beginning. I was, I was just completely awful. But at one point, I had an experience that really shifted my perspective on this whole thing. Because at the time, I was really struggling with it. I thought it was just bullshit. But at the same time, I felt something. So my mind was really struggling with what I was feeling because I couldn't identify it. It wasn't a science. But what was it that I was experiencing? So I started thinking that maybe I was a little bit crazy, going a bit crazy. But so one time I was teaching a private yoga class and my student was like, ah, this shoulder, this left shoulder again, bothering me again. 
And I just said to her, oh, I learned this new thing, technique thing. You want me to take a look? She's like, yeah, sure. So she lied down on her yoga mat and I didn't touch her. I just hovered my hands over her shoulder, the one where she thought it was kind of painful and she kind of blamed it on CrossFit, but just something within me knew it did not have to do with CrossFit. So I hovered my hands above her shoulder, but then I kind of followed my hands, like wherever my hands wanted to go, I would just do that. And then very quickly, I moved away from where she thought the pain was. And I just kind of hovered my hands above her chest instead. And I was just thinking, huh, what's going on here? And then suddenly, this physical pain shot up from my hand up my shoulder. It hurt so much, I actually said, ow, out loud. And I just looked at her. I don't know a thing about this lady. I just looked at her and I just, just said, did something happen in your personal life? And she looked at me and she was like, yeah, I just broke up with my boyfriend recently. And I thought, what the heck just happened? So I went home and I was like, what the heck was that? I didn't know a thing. What the heck was I feeling? What's going on? And so at that point, I stopped questioning myself and thinking that I'm crazy (laughs) because I was gaining more and more of these like evidence that I was feeling something that was real and that I was deeply connecting to people, that I was deeply feeling people, and that there were a lot of things that I could get to in terms of like bringing up as a topic in the conversation if I just loved and accepted the person in the room and I just listened. And in the moment, at that point, I worked in this whole, I called it like energy healing, not even sure what exactly it was, but I worked in it for a few years. I never had to touch the people. I just kind of hovered them, put their face down. They're on the massage table. They're all relaxed, almost sleeping. But then I would have conversations where literally I would pick up on things that they're struggling with and we would just get closer and closer and closer to what was really wrong and the answers that they needed. And so we, I talked to people in that way and that slowly transitioned into work with women and then, yeah, him just one day said, hey, you want to create a business together? I said, uh-huh, okay, sure. What about? <laughs> and that was the beginning of our work together. But until then, we had very drastically different, I guess, approaches to our careers, right? Because Yahim studied for years with the best teachers, coaches, trainers, whatever, And he did so much work in that realm. He really studied it a lot, really looked at different methods and ways of working, different styles from different people. While I pretty much developed my own way, like emotionally working through issues with people and coaching people through my intuitive way of working. So extremely different beginnings, but we do the same thing anyways. I have a question that came up organically, Natasha, in hearing both of your backgrounds. And and thank you for sharing. Both of you are just so eloquent and are such great storytellers. And in that, I'm just so curious from both of your perspectives, what you feel, I guess, the overarching spiritual or energetic purpose of human romantic relationship. You know, and and the reason I say spiritual and energetic, because, you know, I I don't mean procreation. And I, I don't think that's obviously the purpose that every single person is, is meant to reproduce. But moreover, what do you feel like the energetic and spiritual ramifications are for people being in relationship together? Mm. 
Well, that's a deep question. <laughs> so there are two things that, that come to mind with this question. One of them is, is the experience that we are having now, which is when you combine your energies, it becomes exponential and you can create and you're like this new unit that has all those different sides and, and facets to it. And you can create something in this world. You become this beautiful force for love and you can embody the love and you can share the love within the relationship. And that goes into the world, you know, that goes into how you show up in your work it's how you show up with your in-laws how you show up with your kids it really has a huge a huge impact and the second thing is is growth that you grow through being with someone so close together i mean natasha and i are together a lot because we're working together so we go to bed together we wake up together we work together and we go to the gym together so <laughs> so we do a lot together <laughs> And when you are together, there are the frictions that come up. There are the preferences that come up. There are certain things that are difficult that come up. And that is where you can grow. That is when you can expand. That is, how do I deal with this without running away, without hiding, without doing anything? What do I do to address this? And really, for I mean, for us, we see romantic relationships as a, as a doorway to transform this planet. We really see that. And Part of, of that is is transforming yourself because the relationship is made out of you and someone else. And so when you transform yourself, you transform the relationship, it transforms the planet. It revolutionizes the planet, absolutely, because the building blocks of society are relationships. And so how you're showing up within your relationship has an impact on society. And it really looks to me like the relationship arena is where there's a lot, a lot, a lot of unconsciousness happening, where people, they just kind of fall into it. And then they think, you know, it's the happily ever after. And then there's unconscious patterns that, that come up and relating to the, your partner, how you've learned it from your parents or how you have learned to cope with life. And so there's a lot to really look at. And that can really impact the world and your friends and all around you in amazing ways. For me, I experience it differently. The spiritual component of our relationship does have to do with the feminine and the masculine. And it does not have to do with gender, but more the energy. So I embody more of the feminine spirit within our relationship. So if you didn't notice with the whole rage cleaning and the whole list making, I used to be a lot more of a control freak, right? So I wanted to feel like I was in control. Now, with this spiritual component, with Yahim really showing up as his true, full self, he's able to lead. He's able to lead, and I can surrender. That might be kind of controversial from like a feminist kind of movement, like surrender. Like, what do you mean? Like, don't just let him lead. Stand up, woman. And like, no, like I don't mean that kind of letting go and you do whatever you want kind of thing. So when i talking about surrendering, it means that we have established so much trust, so much respect for one another. And there is such recognition of who is actually here within this relationship. Not their attributes anymore, right? But the actual person behind, right? That I'm able to let go and just be who I am. 
in the best way possible. So that means that Yahim can step up, we just throw at us all sorts of ideas like, hey, let's bounce, let's get out of Switzerland, let's just move out of this apartment and go nowhere and just float around like a coconut <laughs> all over the world. And <laughs> Is that how you ended up in Malaysia? That's where you are right now, Malaysia, yeah, right? Yeah, we're just, I mean, it's COVID, so we're here a lot longer than we intended to, but we pretty much just stay in a country for three months and then keep on exploring and we've been all over the world and that was just Yahim's one-off idea like hey why don't we do that and that was his impulse that was his inspiration and me coming from the feminine spirit I had to relax into that I had to let go of control and just relax and surrender to the fact that my partner has stepped up is taking the lead I'm given the opportunity to follow in the best way possible, right? To follow with respect and with that trust and with that, what is it? Like, is it hope mm-hmm. that things will always work out for us? So this is actually deeply healing for me to be able to surrender because you can only surrender when you feel safe, when you know you can and that you don't have to do things anymore. You don't have to fix things anymore. You don't have to keep the balls up in the air. You can just be. And you can w- express whatever is going on. And I think it's the biggest gift that anyone can give to me in this world is to hold that space for me. So spiritually speaking, I think that is my deepest experience of love, of leadership, of surrendering, of creating such a beautiful thing ecosystem together where this is possible it's as if we fall into pure love and there's not an ounce of fear in it just to give my perspective on this which is important because when you hear oh you know oh he's leading and all of this please be aware when when she's saying leading it actually means i'm listening okay leadership cannot come from a place of I am dictating what's going to go and what's not going to go. Then you're back again into the me and what I want and Natasha having to conform to this. That's not what this dynamic is about. It's actually about me really listening to Natasha, feeling her and bringing something to the table that she may not be able to bring to the table because she's surrendering and letting go. So it's a very, very different dynamic than when you think about, you know, the kind of patriarchal society or, you know, the man just doing whatever he wants. It's, it has nothing to do with that. It's actually about helping both of us to bring the best out in each other. Mm. I feel like you are both teaching me so much. In the course of this conversation, there, there have been so many moments where I have simultaneously been doing deep listening and then also witnessing patterns and ways of behavior that I experience in relationship that are coming up for me to be looked at. Like I, I really feel like after we wrap this episode, I'm going to need to sit and reflect on some things. And and your energy and your approach that you both have is, it's simultaneously soothing to me, as Whitney mentioned. I'm, I'm experiencing the same thing, but also it is bringing stuff up in real time where I am like, oh my God, I need, I need to look at this pattern of behavior for myself. This might be one of the first conversations we've had on the podcast where, yeah, in real time, I'm like, oh shit, I need to sit with that afterward. Well, there was also the attachment episode where you realized that you uh, 
were an avoidant attachment. And actually, I'm curious about whether that comes into your work, Natasha and Yakim. Do anything around relationship attachments, which is becoming a subject matter I've been noticing a lot. So the anxious, avoidant, or secure attachment styles in relationships. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's a framework that you can use and it can be a useful framework to look at. And I can definitely classify myself as an avoidant attachment, especially early in the relationship myself. And that was really coming from the experience I had early on in the childhood. My father committed suicide when I was six years old. And so I had this very negative view of love and authority because I got hurt, really. And so I wanted love, but I didn't want love because love was dangerous. That was really what was the case. And so that played out in the relationship. It played out through having an open relationship by wanting Natasha to be closer to me and at the same time pushing Natasha away. And again, a dysfunctional dance. And the way to resolve it for me was to resolve what happened with my father. And that, I mean, it was almost two decades later when I actually integrated that experience because when I grew up and this happened, there was not really the support or the openness in my family to address it in a way that was good for me. And so what happened is that the emotion and the shock froze in my body and I was cutting myself off from my emotions, really. I mean, that was what's happening. And when you cut yourself off, you don't just cut off the negative, you also cut off the positive. So your experience of life becomes kind of flat. So when that broke free, and it literally was a moment, a pivotal moment, where this lady was back in one of those cleanses, she started crying. She's like, those are your tears. And in that moment, it just burst out of me. And I was crying and crying and crying and actually feeling the pain. And that is what then led to massive transformation within me where I was able to go through all those darker emotions and really understand them, not with your mind, but with my heart and seeing, you know, it's a spectrum. It's like a rainbow and you have the extremely ecstatic, joyful, blissful emotions and you have the very contracted, dark emotions of depression, suicidal thoughts and all of that. And I've experienced all of them. And they all have their own beauty when you're not identified with them. But it allows me to do the work I do today. And so we're not coming from a theoretical framework of, let's look at your attachment style. We're coming from an experiential framework of how we have transformed our relationships, how we have worked with people and feeling people more deeply. You know, that is really what, what's happening, especially in the one-on-one conversations is really feeling people and seeing where are they getting hung up? Where are they avoiding? Where are they running away? Where are they violating their boundary or trying to cling to the other person? And all of that stuff, those, this behavior, you can classify in, in, in the attachment style theory. I just, I'm just not a fond of theories too much because it can limit you. It's useful because it can give you a map and a guidance about how you want to approach this. And if you get stuck in it, you start looking completely just through the eyes of this theory. It's like, oh, well, this is the avoidant attachment style behavior. And this is this attachment style behavior. And everything starts to make sense. And you're like, wow, I got it figured out. Well, you haven't figured it out because you can't figure reality out. Stop trying to figure shit out. It really is hurtful in the end to a relationship when you are so stuck in your head that you're analyzing everything and getting everything right. Live your life, live your relationship, make your mistakes, be human. 
be avoidant at certain times, be clingy at other times. Those are all experiences. There's nothing wrong with those experiences. However, they do have certain implications on the relationship and on your own well-being. And through experiencing them and looking at them, you get to transform them, you get to understand them at a much deeper level than any theory could ever give to you. Hmm. I wanted to just do an amen and a hallelujah with that. That, that <laughs> It was just everything Everything you said, Yachim was like, wow, just so powerful and just such a beautiful perspective. I am curious with both of you, are you currently then in a dedicated monogamous structure for your relationship right now? Yes, for a few years now. And it's where we're happiest, yeah. Okay, so contrasting that to the experiments and the styles you had previous, why does this container, this version, I suppose, why does it feel happiest or most connected? When you contrast it to what you tried before, what feels different about it and what feels best about being in a monogamous relationship? For me, it's a place where I take all responsibility for my actions and what it is that I need. So where before, it sounds kind of awful, but I really was trying to outsource my problems. <laughs> Even away from Yahim, he can't solve them, I'll outsource it to someone else. And so back then, it was as if I wasn't really meeting myself or what I needed, like face on, like straight on. I was still hiding what was really happening and using all these different ways of having a relationship to try to be happy, be satisfied, and prove to myself certain ideas. And now, in this current monogamous relationship, I take full responsibility. I actually know that everything I do because we've consciously chosen to become a unit, it has an impact on Yachim. And so that also means that I'm now coming from a way more mindful place of what is it that we're truly creating here. Where before it was like I have a little wound and I'm like, put on all the band-aids, put on all the bombs, put on all the things to make it better. You know, I was just throwing on all sorts of stuff onto my arm and be like, ah, that kind of works. While here, it's like intentionally creating, intentionally being together and going, okay, there's really deep love here. How do we want to spend this life together? When we're together, how good can it get? And when it gets that good, what's possible? What are we creating here? And it's as if in this monogamous relationship, I've really brought 100% of myself. I've really grown up also. Like when you have like little doors to run out of the house and escape from time to time, it's easy to avoid certain things. But now like, no, we're, we're together. We've chosen this and it's been such a healing and deeply rewarding experience because we're actually showing up as adults now. We're not just repeating the same patterns anymore. And we dream really big. We've shown each other how deeply we can hurt one another. That's for sure. <laughs> We've really, really hurt one another. We've really crossed the boundaries. We've really broken trust. We've done really 
bad things in our relationships, but because we recognize there's love and because we chose love, we realize that there's so much that we can create together and there's such deep love that we can fall into and there's such support that we can give to one another. And some of that, honestly, I I believe just takes that real commitment to be there for yourself, to be there for the other person. So there's no plan B anymore where I feel like in the past, other options is that like plan B to settle your fears or your insecurities, but it's a different ball game now. Absolutely. I mean, for me personally, the amount of love and fulfillment you can experience being with one partner is off the charts. For me personally, it's like when you are in in a relationship that's open, whatever, it can be fun. You can have the pleasure, you can have the experiments and all of that. But in terms of depth, for me, it's not been possible to go into that depth with all having all those kind of partners because it takes time. It, a relationship can mature and it can get better. And that's what we don't realize because you have the honeymoon period. You're like, oh my God, it's amazing. And then the honeymoon wears off and you're like, oh God, with who am I now? Oh, Jesus, like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, it's getting worse. <laughs> and as you go deeper into the relationship, what, what happens is either you learn to address those things or you get out, right? And so when you address those things, and this is what people often don't know, is that the next stage is actually better than the honeymoon. Like what we're having now feels more enriching, more loving, more empowering than just have being on a chemical high for a few months when you meet someone new that's you know installed by biology so we procreate very quickly and have more kids when you actually go through that phase and you go through some power struggle and, and difficulties and you find your way to be together and to work together it really opens up a whole new arena of a relationship that I was not aware of and i don't think i would have been able to pass through that stage trying to be with multiple partners at the same time. That looks to me quite difficult because you are going to have difficult conversations from time to time. You're going to have uncomfortable feelings. You got to be with yourself and on all that. And if there's more more people involved, it's more and more work. And you have other things to do as well with your life than just having relationships with different people. Wow, this is so amazing. And the timing is incredible too, because Jason and I talk a lot about these things offline. And it certainly comes up in other conversations that I have with friends and just all the different perspectives people have and experiences they have. And my friends that are married or single and dating or in a long-term relationship and my experiences. And I think a, a lot of what you're saying is actually still feels like it's not discussed enough. Would you agree, Jason? Like, I feel like the two of you have such a wonderful, simple, empowering message. And yet it also simultaneously feels so deep and rich and and unique in a lot of ways. And as Jason said, just listening to the two of you has been such a joy because I keep reflecting on so much. And I'm sitting here feeling so eager to share this with my friends that I've been in these discussions with, because I don't even know if I've ever heard anyone say that this period of time that you're in right now is even better than the honeymoon period. You know, like that in itself, I don't feel like 
is shared. And I wonder, is it because people just don't feel the need to talk about that? Or is it that most relationships are not in that place because they haven't learned the techniques that you have? I mean, even that weekly meeting that you have with one another is so amazing. And it's such a simple, actionable thing. And I feel like it's such a great takeaway to offer because anyone listening to this could immediately decide to do that with their partner or invite their partner to do that with them. And that's such a beautiful thing. And I'm curious, Jason, if you were sitting there like thinking that you wanted to do it too. And I want to hear more of your reactions to this, Jason, because without being with you in person, I can't look over and see your facial expressions. But you and I talk about these things a lot. And I'm curious, like what is coming up for you in terms of takeaways or lessons that you're learning? I mean, there's a lot. Goodness. It's realizing that the biggest takeaway, the biggest realization, I suppose, that I've had in terms of processing my hurt or processing my wounds is that a coping mechanism I developed from childhood, as an example, was because I was on my own a lot and being a single only child, rather, being raised by a single mother that my mechanism from a very young age was to process my pain and my confusion and my trauma alone. And so I've noticed that pretty consistently with only a few exceptions in my romantic relationships, my tendency is that when I am hurt or scared or wounded or experiencing trauma, I shield it or hide it or prefer to do it in isolation and away from my partner And now realizing that that is not allowing a deeper level of intimacy and vulnerability, and that that's been a coping mechanism and something that I've just been used to because I've done that my entire life. And with your encouragement, Yachim and and Natasha, what you're saying about going into those places together and, you know, I suppose working together to dissolve those past hurts or, or the pain or the misunderstanding and using the wounds to create a deeper healing. I just realized that I've never really worked too deeply with a partner on that. I've always thought that I had to do that on my own and not burden someone else with it. That's probably the biggest takeaway that I'm sitting with right now is like, man, shit, I've been holding on to that pattern so long. I'm realizing it clearly doesn't serve me or serve the interests of my intimate partnership. Amazing. Absolutely love what, what you have shared. I mean, that's really powerful. And I can just talk from my own experience that it's been really scary for me to open up to Natasha and be like, you know, I'm actually hurt. And and having that, for me, that was a, a moment of vulnerability. And there's a lot of power in addressing issues by yourself and sitting by yourself and, and all of that. I'm not discounting that at all, actually. I think it both are necessary. However, there's something really beautiful that can happen when your partner has the capacity to listen and be there And you can open up and you can share that vulnerability that really can heal in different ways that just being by yourself doesn't really do it. Because for me, it's like, well, opening up myself like this, I'm opening myself up to more hurt now again, right? And when the hurt doesn't come, there's healing. And that is really, really beautiful. And so I love what you shared. Yeah, I just, I really want to echo what Whitney said. I feel like so many of our listeners are going to receive this in a way that I think is going to open them up. At least that's my hope. That's, of course, our hope with everything we do on this podcast. But as I mentioned, you know, I, I'm just reflecting on, 
Yeah. So many of, I guess, the unconscious patterns or tendencies that I've carried from relationship to relationship and really wanting to take a higher level of responsibility and ownership over how I've been showing up. That's what really is coming up in this moment for me. And I suppose my question to both of you is, I think I paraphrased this earlier when I asked, when the pain does arise or the challenge does arise, how did you both move past perhaps any urges you may have had to call it quits? Because I feel like there's moments in a relationship where it gets hard, it gets confusing, it gets difficult, it gets painful. And you've both mentioned how you've hurt one another and and you've learned through these experiences. But how is it that you keep continuing and not say, you know, we're at this point, it's too painful, it's too confusing, fuck it, we're done. Because I feel like so many people choose that option in life. They walk away, even if the love is there and they're done. And how have you been able to transmute the pain to use it as, I suppose, a way to deepen and not just blow the whole thing. I may have asked this before, but I'm, I guess I just want a deeper understanding of that because it feels like that's the default mechanism. You know, for most people is this hurts too much, I'm done. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. This goes completely back to, I think what I said earlier in our conversation, that the moment a hurt or a pain comes in, it feels like suddenly there's a disconnect and if you don't remember what love feels like how good you once were together it's hard to kind of reach for it so I actually want to bring up a moment in time where we were in this decision making process of should we stay or not because we just finished that week long individual retreat reflecting on most of the time, our part within the relationship and why things have gone wrong and why we're irritated at one another, hurt by one another, why we feel like we can't move on to the next stage together. And I remember at the end of that week, the healer, she was in the room and she was there to facilitate the conversation in case we needed anything. And Yahim was sharing what he realized, and I was sharing what I realized. And we were opening up the conversation about how, hey, I consciously choose to not do that to you again. And if I do, I take responsibility from now on and so on. So we were having this conversation. And then at some point, the lady who was working with us, she said, okay. So, do you want to be together still? And imagine this. This is after 45 minutes of crying and like really looking at admitting and saying sorry and saying, hey, I won't do that to you again. I've never done anything so not mean, but like from a place, a place where I know I genuinely hurt you so deeply. You know, it was a conversation of that and just kind of like rehashing because we didn't digest those events, right? We didn't digest the pain yet. So full crying, admitting how we've been wrong, admitting the things we've done, admitting the pain that you feel that the other person feels just awful. (laughs) Like this is this is like the lowest point, right, of any relationship is where not where you feel hurt by your partner, but where you feel the double pain, the pain where you feel hurt by your partner, but also where you feel what you've done 
and recognizing the consequences of your actions, of your patterns. It's like all there in front of you and it's raw. And she asked us if we want to be together. And it was so strange because in my body, in my chest, (laughs) in terms of puffy eyes, everything was just hurt, man. But then the answer came and it was so clear. It's like, yes, yes, I want to be with him still. And Yahim said, yes, I want to be with her still. And it was just pause because everyone in that room, the three of us were just still. And in that moment, we all realized, whoa, we saw how deeply, badly this can go, like how awful this could go. And we felt it, we recognized it, we've talked about it, we've cried about it, and we're still choosing yes. So what's holding this together? In that moment, I realized how deep our love goes. And yes, there's a lot of pain, and yes, there's the past, and yes, there's stuff you do to one another when you're in a long-term or deeply intimate relationship. But those hurts and those mistakes and the things you've done, it's nothing compared to the love that still is underneath it all. So in that moment, I realized, wow, there is real love here in this room. If we can create that freaking nightmare, we can turn this around too. So there is a very specific way that we come back from this point, this low, low, low point. Right. So, I mean, for giving you a more specific answer, there's two answers I want to give. Let's start with the first one, and then we'll go a bit deeper. First of all, the low points are a gift. So when there's pain, that is a gift, because it opens you up for the very first step. We call it the exceptional relationship formula. And the very first step is to actually realize where you're at, and it allows you to pivot and be like, okay, wait a second. I don't want to go down this way. I actually want to create something different. So what is that different? Well, that's the second step. What's your dream? What's your dream relationship? What do you actually want to have? So you dream that up and then it comes the trust because you are in a low point and you have this amazing dream of a relationship that's beautiful and empowering and all of that. And there's a huge gap between those two. So you need to have the trust to actually move through and believe that you can create that. And then it goes into creation. Okay, so for example, Natasha and me, what's the behavior that we're doing? How are we going to address it? And how are we going to commit to it that it doesn't show up anymore? Or if it does show up, that we are weeding it out in that moment, that we are not repeating it again. Because that is literally how you do it. You create it and you go into it and you do the nitty gritty work. Now that said, there's a second part to to transmuting the pain. And I'm going to contradict pretty much everything we've said before. And that is what you're experiencing is your own pain. And you are responsible for your own pain. It's not your partner's responsibility. What's coming up within you is your responsibility. And so you can shift circumstances, but there's no guarantee that that pain is not going to come up again. So either you learn to face it now and you get to transmute it now and you get to take the learning from it now, or you take it on and you may experience it in another situation. So for example, with me and my father, I had this pain within me. I was experiencing this pain. 
that was what was happening within me and I was replaying it in my relationship. But as long as I don't address that pain that is within me, I am going to relive that pain. So there's a huge motivation once you know that what you're experiencing are your own internally created realities. That is what you're experiencing. Even when it comes to my father, you can say, oh, you know, what he did had this kind of impact. And that is true to some degree. And at the same time, it is how I processed it, how I've made sense of it, that has created this kind of pain. And that's a bit hard to wrap your head around sometimes. But there are situations, there's a book, I forgot the name of it, but it basically looks at different situations where some people get traumatized and some people don't get traumatized. But it's the same situation. So there's a huge component about how you're making sense in each moment. And so what you're experiencing is happening within you. And so knowing this, you have a choice. Are you going to be addressing it? Or are you going to be trying to shift your circumstances around so you feel a bit better? Having said that, I'm not saying if you're in an abusive relationship that you're staying in this kind of relationship saying, well, this is all my creative pain and all of that. That is a perversion of what I just said. That's not at all what I'm saying. And so with any teaching or any kind of ideas, we always have to be careful because we can twist it in a way that makes us stay in either in a certain place or project certain things out onto other people. So it is a balance and they are contradictory to each other. In one way, yes, Natasha hurt me. I hurt Natasha. In another way, Natasha hasn't hurt me. It's coming from within me. And they're the polar opposites and they are true in their own right and have their own place. And I see a lot of people getting stuck in one of them, either being spiritually correct and be like, oh my God, you know, it's all my pain. I have to process it and whatever. And the other one of like, well, it's my partner. So I have to work it out with my partner. And they not really looking at their part as well. So it is both. It is yes and. Wow. I mean, (laughs) I feel almost speechless, but I'm trying to form some words of gratitude for everything that you've shared. It's actually just so much more than I expected (laughs) that you covered today. And I, I feel like it's such an incredible gift. And what a testament to the work that you've done, not only as a couple, but how you've developed the ability to speak on this and guide others through all of this. And I feel like anyone listening is probably diving into your website right away just to see how they can work with you. And you have a bunch of freebies on there too. So you can go on there right away. We're going to link to their website and help you find them very easily. If you go to rswellevator.com, W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com, you can find this episode and there's an entire transcript. So if there are certain parts that you wanted to go back and read or re-examine, you can do that there. You'll find the, the link to their website there and any resources we may have mentioned here and your social media as well, right? You didn't send that to us, but I imagine you're on all of the social media platforms. Is there any that you focus more on or less on? Right now, we're mostly on Pinterest. Oh, I love that. I'm obsessed with Pinterest. <laughs> I'm so excited. I'm going to go follow you right now. <laughs> <laughs> what type of things do you post on Pinterest? Well, we blog twice a week, right? So like everything, mostly from communication to conflict, whether it's conversation ideas, because, you know, you kind of repeat the same kind of topics with your partner, you kind of in a rut, then you can do that. Or we have things like how to actually talk about your marriage 
with your partner, which most people find it difficult to do, or how to deal with defensive communication. Like we really break down the nitty gritty within our blog and we just post bits and pieces of that on Pinterest. I already looked it up and followed you and I will be sure to put that in the show notes for anyone else here that is into Pinterest. It's such an amazing platform. Actually, we've been posting more for our account. I have my own separate account and just the things that you can find on there. And I just love it as a social media platform, especially when when I get a little tired of Facebook and Instagram. <laughs> I also feel like you two would be so wonderful on TikTok if that appealed to you. But everybody has different opinions on that platform. But it's certainly a platform like TikTok. I mean, Instagram is now doing their own version of it. And, and you just have all these little tidbits that you could share on these platforms. So keep us posted on your social media. And I imagine when people sign up for your freebies on the website, they get on, onto your mailing list. And do you send a, a weekly newsletter? Yeah, we do. We actually uh, send you something every other day because there's a oh, lot wow. to talk about. And we've yeah. gone through so many things. I think like the whole on the toilet business conversation <laughs> to the one of us crying, you know, with the healer in the room. I mean, like we've gone through so much and it's like, <laughs> we just need a way to tell you yeah. all of it. So yeah, we're, we're in touch with our list quite a bit. Well, awesome. I'm, I'm signing up for that right now too. So yeah, I'm going to as well. <laughs> I, yeah. <laughs> I feel like in many ways, we've been together for just under two hours here. And yet I still feel like we've only scratched the surface that you both are such deep wells of love and connection. And, you know, I've just really felt throughout these two hours that you've brought such an intimate humanistic approach to this topic of relationship and connection. And really your energy and your approach is, is Unlike anything I think I've ever been exposed to, there's just something very unique about both of you doing this together that is deeply moving and deeply compelling. And I'm just going to be devouring your content, just devouring it like path. Plus, you have your podcast, which I noticed you hadn't posted any episodes in the last few months. Perhaps that's due to COVID and the limitations some of us have with that. But your podcast has just over 30 episodes and People can go listen to that and and hear your voices more often through that platform as well. Are you going to be posting new episodes on your show? Yeah, we, we plan to. So with the whole social media, podcast, YouTube, we have a YouTube channel as well. These are all things that are in the pipeline. We want to refocus the podcast and YouTube channel. It's just we decided to take it one step at a time. So we have solidified, okay, how do we do Pinterest? How do we do the blog and all of that? So we are actually right now in discussions about the next steps and how we want to go because we want to build it up in a very solid way and we don't want to spread ourselves too thin or whatever and bring that kind of consistency that uh, people really deserve and before we were a bit too much scattered and so we pull everything back and we're like okay let's do one thing correctly and then when we go into the next one so those things are in the pipeline i can't yet tell you when exactly we'll be restarting the podcast and how that's going to look like but it's definitely going to be more in the direction of relationship before it was more about living your truth and being in alignment with yourself. And that's really relevant for relationships as well. But we want to bring it more clearly to committed relationships. And that's wonderful. It's actually great advice for anyone using social media or, or online uh, content, because 
we certainly can spread ourselves too thin. Jason and I have experienced that. And we actually don't do that much social media for Wellevator. We do on our separate accounts, but we we basically are utilizing Instagram, Pinterest more and more, and a little bit of TikTok and some of the the other platforms like Twitter and Facebook and such. But you know, there's just so many that you can do. And just like your relationship, it's so important to focus on the priorities and pick something and feel really comfortable and confident with it and be consistent, as you mentioned. So thank you for sharing that too. Because I, I think a lot of people want to learn the best way to spread the word about what they're doing and being honed in on something as you are doing is a really lovely thing. So we look forward to new podcast episodes. But in the meantime, I'm so grateful for Pinterest and your newsletter. And as I mentioned, we're going to link to that plus your main website on our website, wellevator.com, along with the transcript with this episode. And you can skim through it and revisit anything that's really supported you today. And as Jason said, we're just so grateful and in awe of what you shared and who you two are. And thank you for taking us through the journey of what got you to where you are today. And we look forward to following it from here on out. Well, thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate that you guys have this long format in your podcast because a lot of podcasts are nowadays, I don't know, 15 minutes, 30 minutes, five minutes or whatever. And it's just, you can't really go into depth that's necessary to really show, you know, what's possible and how you've gotten there and all of this thing. So we really appreciate that you have this format and that people are actually listening to it and taking the time to dive into it because it's just so much more richness. You just can't cover everything in, in 30 minutes. It's just unrealistic. And again, for me, it's a bit like, you know, the pleasure, oh, new information. Oh, now I get a little high. But if you want to really master something, if you really want to dive into something, if you want to change your relationship, it's going to take more than listening to 30 minutes here and there. It is a real commitment. And so thank you so much for allowing us to speak on this platform. You're so welcome. And thank you for acknowledging that. I absolutely agree. And I remember when there was this one period where I was experiencing a lot of pain due to a relationship. And one of the most healing things I did was listen to a relationship podcast. And I could not get enough of it. And just learning strategies and in-depth information was really, really healing. And I hope that the listener received some of that from you today. And even if they had to listen to it in bits and pieces, if they made it this far, then they got a lot out of what you shared. So thank you again. Thank you. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. 